Okay, so the song goes like this. It's the most, fill in the blanks, wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. And one of the reasons why it might be the happiest season of all or the most wonderful time of the year, if you are a parent of young children, it is because of what I call, I call, I call this uh, opportunity, this golden window of opportunity that is that has come in this particular season of the year. Now, some of you probably know which way I'm already going in this, but 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 I call it this motivational leverage that takes place during this season leading up to Christmas because because it doesn't matter if if you open Christmas presents on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, you know. Uh, Everyone knows it's, it's time, right, for, for, for giving of gifts, right? But, but here's, the, here's the motivational leverage that parents have. Now, this doesn't apply to grandparents because grandparents are, are out of the loop when it comes to needing motivational leverage, okay? So, 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 so here's what, ha- what happens. This tremendous opportunity for parents to say to their kids, clean your room or else, you know, uh, if you don't stop bickering and fighting with your brother and sister, you can forget about Xbox. This is going to be a, a lean Christmas and a cold winter if you guys don't put out the trash or, or, or rake a few more bags of leaves. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's the leverage that parents have over their, over their young children at this particular time of the year when they're hoping to get something special, right? Um, I want you to think about this with me for a minute. Uh, it's the time of the year when kids discover the garage. When, when you see them sneaking down the basement, you know, when, when, when you say, hey, was that you I heard up in the attic? Who, me? You know, it's, it's, it's the time of the year when the kids are snooping around to see if what they have wished for, you've already gone and bought. Now, now let me just say this. If they discover that what, you, what, what you've bought for them is already bought and paid for, then... Here's the thing. Your leverage has been diminished greatly. It's been compromised. All right? So, so what am I talking about? I'm talking about, I'm talking about performance equals reward. Right? Performance equals reward. We, we, we've all grown up with the idea that if we do well, we'll be rewarded. If we work hard, then we'll be, we'll be blessed, Right? There's a great commercial. I, I probably have shared this in the past. I love this commercial. This is, this is uh, the time of the year they bring it back. It's been around for a number of years. Now picture the scene, right? It's Christmas morning. And the father's the first one to, to wake up. And he's standing in front of the living room. And the living room is, is loaded with, with these huge presents and gifts. I mean, it's like wall-to-wall presents. And there's a train that's running around, and there's a car in the, in the living room, and there's all these great things, right? And, and this, now this little red-headed girl, about 10 years old, so cute, right? She's standing next to her father, and the father says, whoa, those must have been some cookies and milk you put out. And she puts a big grin on her face, and she's smiling, and she says, it wasn't cookies, it was cheese, you know? And then you hear the, the voiceover, oh, the power of cheese, you know? I love that commercial, right? What, what, what's it saying? The same message that performance equals reward. Performance equals, 
How many of you remember the song, listen, that we've all grown up singing and being sung to? Listen, 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 listen. He's making a wish, or list, I'm sorry. We have a wish. He's making a list. He's checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. You better not cry pout or you better not cry you better not pout i'm telling you why right you know why santa claus is coming down he sees you when you're sleeping he knows when you're awake he knows if you've been good or bad so be good for goodness sake right, right. well what is that you know the omniscience of santa i mean he he knows everything and and therefore again we're getting the message of performance equals reward Performance equals reward. Listen, we've all grown up, right, either hearing that song or singing that song. That, that song was released, listen, on radio in 1934. So we're talking about 80 years ago, right? Way before MP3s and way before CDs and way before, you know, even tapes, for goodness sakes, you know? But, but listen, there's a reason why when that song was released, within two weeks it sold 100,000 copies of sheet music that's what they that was the you know the style back in the day sheet me a hundred thousand that's phenomenal why because it clicked into something in the psyche of us human beings that everything has to do with performance based reward if we perform well we'll be accepted if we if we work hard we will be rewarded We've all grown up with that mindset. And that mindset is not only, you know, during Christmas time with kids and, you know, trying to leverage some, some chores on them and stuff like that. But listen, it's, it's in the workplace. It's in school. It's, it's in life, right? That performance equals reward. What about God? You know, God must be the same way. I mean, if that's all, if that's all that we know in life and, and that, that is our life experience, then then God must likewise reward based upon performance. Uh, religion. I mean, you, you, could, you could name every single religion. They all have as a mindset the, the, idol, the, the philosophy of reward and performance, right? I, I, I mentioned this several weeks ago. Uh, there was a British conference on... Uh, Comparative religions and, and all these, you know, uh, influential people in England gathered together and they were talking about, you know, religion. And, and one of the things that they talked about was, is there a uniqueness about Christianity? And, and one of the things that they were arguing about is, is, is there uniqueness about Christianity? And C.S. Lewis stumbled into the meeting, right? And he said, what's the, what's the fuss that's going, what's the ruckus that's, that's going on? And they told him they, they, are, they are discussing whether or not there is anything unique about Christianity. And he says, oh, that's easy. He says, grace. Grace is absolutely unique to every religion that's out there. The unconditional love of God given freely without strings, freely, the love of God, not based upon performance, not based upon merit, but based upon who God is. Only Christianity dares to reveal a God who loves unconditionally. And the sad truth is, is that the knowledge of the unconditional love of God is absolutely not known by multiple millions and millions 
of people who believe that performance equals reward. Listen, even among, even among those who, who, who say that they're followers of Jesus, they even have a mindset that, that believes that God sent Jesus into the world and, and, and it was to make God love us. It was to make the Father fall in love with the human race. Totally misunderstanding that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I don't know, I don't know who wrote this, but I, I, I love this. "'Twas not to make Jehovah's love toward the sinner's flame that Jesus from his throne above a suffering man became. "'Twas not the death which he endured nor all the pangs he bore that God's eternal love procured for God was love before. The sending of Jesus into the world is not the cause of his love. It's the fruit of his love. It is because God so loved the world that he sent his son. Hereby, the Bible says, perceive we the love of God. This is the way that we know God loves us because he laid down his life for us. So this morning, I want to add to the list. We've been, we've been doing a series. If you're here for the first time, we've been doing this series now. This is, this is week number nine. We, we've been unpacking some of the names and titles given to Jesus. And we've looked at a whole bunch so far. And this morning, I want to talk to you about God's indescribable gift, the gift of God. Jesus is titled the indescribable gift of God, grace Grace is the energy of God that is, that is at work in us. And the word grace and the word, the word gift is one and the same. And we're going to see that this morning. But, but I, I, love, I love John 3.16 for so many reasons. But one of the most enduring reasons about, about John 3.16 is that it came from the lips of Jesus himself. Jesus is the first one who quoted it. Jesus understood he was given to the world as a gift for God so loved the world that he gave. He understood that. Now, let me tell you something. There's something so powerful about that verse. It is like the gospel in a nutshell. If that's all you have, if you could smuggle, if you could smuggle that one verse into, into a Muslim prison, if you could smuggle that verse behind uh, an iron wall, behind, behind communist walls, if you, if you can just give somebody that one single verse for God so loved the world, it is sufficient enough for them to be ushered into the kingdom of God if they would but believe and receive that great promise because God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus in John chapter four, verse 10, titled himself, Jesus gave to himself that title, the gift of God. And, and it happened uh, probably to someone who you would say would never be on the radar for salvation. Uh, it was a conversation Jesus had with a woman who had a scandalous reputation. It's the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Just the next chapter over from John 3, John chapter 4, Jesus now probably with that, with that resonating in his mind about how God has gifted the world with him, you know, he could say it like this, God so loved the world that he gave me. He, he, he now brings for us into view this title, the gift of God. So it's in conversation with this woman. There's a divine appointment that's going on here. 
And, and, and in John 4, verse 10, Jesus says to her, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. This woman now becomes literally the face for undeserving Christians, undeserving people, undeserving believers to be ushered into the kingdom of God by, by the grace of God. Not on the basis of performance, not on the basis of merit, not on the basis of deserving it, because if anybody didn't deserve it, it was this woman who had been married five times and the man she was now living with was not her husband. And so, so the scandalous reputation, the, the gospel is scandalous. The, the cross is scandalous that we talk about Messiah crucified. But I want you to see this morning that salvation rests completely upon the greatness of the gift and not upon the receiver. Let me say it again. The greatness of salvation rests not upon, or salvation rests not upon the, the greatness of the gift. It rests upon, upon the greatness of the gift. I'm sorry, I'm messing that up. Let me try it one more time. Salvation rests completely upon the greatness of the gift, not the receiver. The apostle Paul, in encouraging the believers in the city of Corinth, uh, trying to motivate them to generosity. He's talking about, in two chapters, in chapters 8 and chapter 9, he's talking about giving and, and, and how, and how the, the believer is benefited by, by giving liberally. And, and therefore, those that give sparingly will reap sparingly, and those that give liberally will reap liberal, liberally. And this is in his mind. And then suddenly, he kind of just goes off track for a moment and begins out of the overflow of God's great grace to begin to talk about the extravagant gift that God has given in the gift of his son. And that's where we get this term of God's indescribable gift. Now, now that's a paradox because Paul is going to describe the indescribable gift. But how could you describe something that is indescribable? It's unspeakable. It's it's words are not sufficient to describe. The, the, see, Jesus has been preached for the last 2,000 years. And if Jesus was just regular or normal or, or if there wasn't anything extraordinary or glorious about him, we would have exhausted the subject of Jesus a long time ago. But, but Jesus happens to be the subject, the knowledge of him. It's like an ocean without a bottom. There's no end to the depth and the height and the riches and the, and the greatness and the majesty of this one with whom we have to do. And I believe that all eternity itself will be one unfolding age after another of revealing the greatness of our God in the person of Jesus. So here's the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. And Paul breaks into unabashed praise as he thinks about the overflowing grace of God and says, thanks, so simple, thanks. Be to God for his indescribable gift, for a gift too great for words, unspeakable, precious beyond description, inexpressible, ineffable gift. So then why is there such a misconception, even among some who name the name of Jesus about performance equals 
reward. Then why is there such a disconnect, even among some evangelical churches? And, and I'll give you a couple of examples. Some believe that blessings come as a result of performance. Like, for instance, healing. I mean, I, I've heard on many occasions that, that, that if you've got enough faith, you can be healed, as though faith were the reward, or rather healing was the reward for generating or creating enough faith, rather than it being wholly, completely by the grace of God. So if you don't have enough faith and you're not healed, it's probably because you're not performing well. And that, that, that kind of is an unspoken kind of philosophy that is, that is out there that God is somehow obligated to give us healing rather than it is the expression of his kindness and the benevolence of, of a God who loves us. Everything that we have. I mean, there's nothing that you have in this life naturally, physically, materially. There's nothing that you have spiritually that you did not receive. And if you received it, then, then where is the boasting or, or where can you brag because if you received it, that means it means that it was gifted to you. It wasn't yours. The very breath that we breathe is a gift from God. Well, you say, well, I, I have energy to work, and, 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 I, and I go to work, and I earn that. No, no, no. The energy that you have, that's a gift from God. The ability to work, the ability to speak, the ability to do so many things that we take for granted are all gifts that come from God. At the beginning of John's gospel, John makes it very clear. He, 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 he mentions Moses and he mentions Jesus. And, and, he, and he says, the law came by Moses and we can make a definite connection between the law and performance because the law was given to show that man is unable to perform perfectly in God's sight and that we need a savior, that we fail at any attempt, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. And so, and so the law was given to show just how much we need a Savior. But then Paul, or, or John says this, but the gift of God, the gift of God, or, or that grace has come by Jesus. And because grace has come by Jesus, we have received grace. And then, Paul, and then John uses this, this phrase, grace heaped upon grace. Grace piled upon grace. In other words, when we receive Jesus, we receive grace, but we don't just receive grace or Jesus. We receive everything that comes with Jesus. And there is so much that comes with Jesus. Paul says, don't you know, don't you realize that that the world has been given to you, that we have been made rich. Remember, it says that though he was poor yet for our sakes, he, though he was rich yet for, for, though, I'm having a problem here this morning. Somebody pray for me, all right? Though he was rich yet for our sakes, he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. And we've been made rich in Christ beyond recognition. I've used this verse before in the past, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
The idea behind that is that if God has given us the very treasure of heaven, that which is the most valuable thing to God himself and his son, then is there anything that God's going to withhold from us? Is, is there any lesser thing that God is just going to not have somehow how be stingy about? You know, I, I shared an illustration maybe when we began this series about two months ago uh, that I gave my wife a very expensive necklace, but I didn't give it to her in a, a, a plastic baggie. I didn't give it to her in a brown paper bag. I wasn't going to spare on the box or spare on the wrapping because what was inside was more precious. And God, giving us what is absolutely precious to him, his son, will not spare on everything else that goes with God's son. That's the divine logic behind our receiving. And what we receive is all grace. It's all gift. It's all, it's all given to us, undeserved and unearned. And, and not only unearned and undeserved, it is ill-deserved. Everything that we have. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, God delights in giving himself to us. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Jesus must be a gift to us if we are to ever possess him. He only comes to us by way of gift. It is inconceivable that we could have deserved that such a person as he should come, live and die, that we might be saved. Inconceivable, he says. When I see him giving himself up to die for men, my blood boils at the thought that we could ever deserve that sacrifice. One is indignant that human pride should dare to imagine one could deserve to be rewarded with the gift of Christ. To be rewarded with the gift of Christ. No, it has to be unconditional. It, ha it has to be free. It has to be all of grace. Grace. For we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Now, you know the scripture, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The gift, the gift, the gift. The, the, the word in the New Testament is not merit. It's grace. It's gift. And grace and gift are one and the same word. Charis. God has given to us the gift of his son. The gospel has nothing at all to do with human performance. That's why it's called good news. Gospel is good news. It's not announcing about what will happen. It's announcing what has happened. God has done for us what we could have never done for ourselves. The gift of his mercy. Grace, the word grace, is the key to the entire New Testament. You cannot understand God without understanding grace. There's no knowing of God. There's no understanding of him apart from grace. Now, before grace was hijacked, abducted by the church in the first century when it was used on the streets of Rome and in Greece. It, it, it kind of was used like this. People would say, if you, if you went into a store, you know, and, and you, you made a purchase or whatever, and, and the store owner, as you would leave, would say, have a grace day, meaning have, a, have an exceptional day, you know. Thanks for coming and have an exceptional day. 
when, uh, when, when people go on a, on a trip today, you know, it's French. It's, they say bon voyage, which means have, have, a, have a, a good journey. Well, they use that expression similarly with the word grace. When you went on a journey, have a grace journey. Uh, back in the day, they, they didn't say happy birthday. Uh, that's more of a Western you know, tradition or belief. They said, have a grace day. When it was your birthday, it was your grace day. And people came to you and they presented you with gifts. On your grace day, they, they gave you presents on your grace day. That's the way that the word grace was used. When you got married, they lifted up a, a glass and they toasted to your marriage. And they were saying, may you be filled with happiness and wonder and joy. That was your grace toast. Then the church took the word and it became synonymous with the gospel and the word grace meant all of that, but it meant so much more. It meant receive what you didn't earn, what you didn't deserve, what you didn't work for. It's grace. It's it's unmerited, it's undeserved, it's, it's God lavishing upon you the very opposite of what you deserve. It's not just what you don't deserve, it is the very opposite of what you deserve. Therefore, it's a gift that we have no claim on. We can make no demands of grace. We don't deserve grace, we'll never earn it, we'll never deserve it. It's given to us freely by a gracious God. It's not, it's not given on the basis of the receiver, but on the greatness of the giver. Someone who doesn't have to give it, who's not obligated to give grace, but who delights in giving grace is God. God poured out, lavished his grace upon us who believe and has given us his indescribable, unspeakable gift. Understand that there was nothing that motivated God to grace us. There was nothing that motivated God to give us Jesus. He was motivated simply by his own goodness and his own love for us. And so grace springs out of God's heart without my asking, without my seeking grace. Grace finds me. Grace surrounds me. It's, 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 it's like the prodigal who, who comes back to his father and says, I don't even deserve to be called your son. Let me just be like one of the ranch hands. And, and the father doesn't even hear him, but says, go get me my best robe and, and, and put shoes on his feet and put a ring on his finger. For this, my son was dead, but now he's alive. This young man is getting the very opposite of what he deserves. He's being restored to a place of honor and dignity in the family. And you know what? We could never separate the gift from the giver because, because in this case, the gift is the giver and God is his greatest gift to us. If I uh, were to uh, put on these shades, wow. Everything has changed. The lighting has changed. I, I no longer see what I saw before. I see things differently. I see, I see you differently. I see me differently. I see life differently. Everything has changed because I've now looked through the lens 
of these rose-colored glasses. I like rose-colored glasses, so deal with it, you know? <laughs> but, but listen, grace is meant to be just like these glasses that I now perceive of you and I perceive of me and I perceive of God. Every, in fact, life now is seen through grace and everything now has changed as a result of grace. Grace is, is, is absolutely the greatest because grace and, and gift are one and the same. When, when I talk about grace, I talk about Jesus. And when I talk about grace, I talk about what God offers to each and every one of us, to whosoever will, let him come. It has substituted his performance from my inability to perform so that his achievements accredited to me. His accomplishments pass over to me. There's a, a report that, that came across on CBS News about a 65-year-old man by the name of Max Meltzer. Uh, Max, for decades, now, 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 now I don't know exactly how many years, but decades means at least 20 uh, the, the plural is there, for at least 20 years. So, so probably since around somewhere in his 40s, Max has been homeless. He's lived on, on the street, you know, sleeping outdoors, living homeless for, for more than 20 years. And uh, he and his, his older brother had, had separated. They, they, they lost contact many years before. But when his older brother, who passed away, left for him a gift, a gift of, of six figures. In, in that moment that, that, that bequeathing took place, at that moment, Max became a wealthy, homeless person. He became rich. And uh, they didn't know where Max was. And so almost a year went by and a couple of months of intense searching for Max. They, the family hired a private investigator who searched for Max and found Max sleeping in a park in Salt Lake City. So for almost a complete year, Max didn't have the luxury of sleeping in a nice, comf comfy, warm bed though he could have because, because the private investigator who found him didn't make him rich, just simply told him that he had become rich. There was probably about 1,000 hot meals that he missed and probably about 365 hot showers he could have had, all because he didn't know it, simply because he didn't know it. And what I want to say to you this morning is, is that there are so many people who don't know how rich they have been made by the grace of God. And because of that, they, they live anxiously. They live with guilt of past sins that, that plague their memory. They, they live with anxiety, believing that they could never be pleasing to God, and therefore God is constantly angry with them. And they're and they're, and they're in danger of losing whatever it is that they have, including their salvation. And they're not living in peace. They're living in disappointment because they don't know. Now, I want you to know this, that the first of all the encompassing things that, 
that God bestows upon us when we are gifted with grace, we are gifted with Jesus, his indescribable gift is, is Jesus himself. We are placed in Christ, and, and, and there's a phrase that, that comes up many, many, many times in Scripture. We are in Christ. If any man be in Christ. And I want to show you one verse where it speaks about being joined to Christ and what that means for us. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling, you're having a hard time, you know, having victory in the area of forgiveness or having victory in the area over sin or over temptation, I want you to see something this morning. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It's a very simple verse. It says, in him, that is in Jesus, in Christ, we have redemption. That means that we've been bought through his blood the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus, in him, we have the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of now, now, it really all depends on what do you understand by forgiveness? What do you understand by forgiveness? I want to suggest to you that our English word that we associate with forgiveness is kind of weak. Webster's Dictionary defines forgiveness as this. It is to excuse a fault or an offense, to renounce your anger and resentment against someone. It means that you are absolved from payment of debt. That, that, that's what the English word means. But when you talk about the New Testament, you're talking about something that is radically other than than, than simply that is it that's too weak of a definition. The, the the Greek word is is epine. Now that may not impress you and that may not mean anything to you, but, but let me tell you how that word is sometimes used in scripture and we'll see how, how powerful really that it is. You, you remember when Jesus fed the multitude? I mean there were crowds and crowds of people. And then the Bible says that after they had eaten the Bible says that Jesus sent them away. He epied them away. He sent them away. Now, it, you, you can't translate that, that Jesus forgave the crowd because that wouldn't fit. No, he sent them away. So to be forgiven is to be, to be sent away. You're gone. It, I mean, it's, it, the crowd is no longer there. Jesus is left with his disciples, and they're all alone, right? That's one way in which it's used. Another way in which it's used is the word divorce. When a man or a woman divorces her husband, you can't say that he forgives his wife, but that's the word. It is to, it is to divide and to separate so that the two are no longer together. It is to, to divide asunder, to separate, okay? Okay. Uh, Here's another instance in which the word forgiven or forgiveness is used, the, the Greek word is used, that we can't understand it simply as, as the definition that we looked at. When Jesus was on the cross and when Jesus yielded up his spirit and said, Father, into, my, into your hands I commend my spirit, in that, in that moment G, the spirit of Jesus was separated from his body, it was gone. So you can't say that in that Jesus forgave his spirit. No, 
It was separated. And what I want you to understand is that this relationship that that we have towards sin has become so radical that we have experienced this divorce, this separation, this, this ripping asunder that sin is gone. It's been sent away in Christ. One of the benefits that we have by being in Jesus is that the power of sin has been ripped apart. It has been banished. It has been torn away from us so that the power of sin no longer has dominion over you. We've been set free. And if I've been set free from sin, then I've been also set free from the necessity of performance. That I no longer have to perform in order to be rewarded. What I want you to walk away with this morning is simply this, that grace eliminates performance. That because of the grace of God, it shatters the need for performance. For this issue of sin, God says, I've separated you from that. As far as the east is from the west, so have I separated your sins. I will remember your sins and your iniquities no more. They will be cast into the depths of the sea. And God puts a sign up and says, no fishing. They've been separated. We've been set free. And therefore, we've been set free from the mindset of performance. So what's left for us? If God did, did all for us, if salvation is of God and God does it all, what is left for us to do? Well, Paul said it. Now thanks be unto God. For his indescribable gift, there's there's nothing left for me to do but to be thankful. Now, does that mean that I go on living in sin? Of course not. God forbid that we who've been set free from the power of sin should live any longer under it. No, grace, I said a little while ago, is the energy of God by which... We now walk away from that lifestyle where we, where we put on the, the, the shades of, it's hard to see like that. We put on the shades of, of grace and we look at life differently. For the grace of God has been given that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly love. No, no, we've been set free. We, we, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And as a result of that, What else could we say but thank you? A million times thank you for the great grace that God you've lavished upon us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for grace that is gift and for Jesus that is gift and for this incredible, incredible, indescribable, unspeakable, inexpressible, ineffable gift of your son that you so loved the world that you gave. Lord, we are indebted to grace. We are indebted to grace. We are indebted to Jesus. We owe all to Jesus. This is all about him. This is not about me. It's not about us. It's about what he did for us. And so to him be all the glory 
for the great things that he has done. Amen.